going to look at Ezekiel chapter 47 tonight at a river of living water. Let's stand together as we read God's word together. Uh, Ezekiel 47 verse 8, then said he unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that every living thing or everything that liveth, which moveth whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed. And everything shall live, whether the river cometh. And it shall come to pass, that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even unto Eneglim. Sorry. There shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds, as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. And by the river upon the bank thereof on this side and on that side shall grow all trees from meat whose leaf shall not fade. Neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary. And the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof for medicine. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> it's, of course, a very famous passage in the book of Ezekiel that looks forward to the coming kingdom of the Messiah. We would set the time as being during the millennial reign of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is, the thousand-year reign of Jesus over the world, when he will establish that kingdom, when he will rule from uh, the throne of David and sit upon the throne of David, the Bible says in Jerusalem, he will rule the entire world. And in the midst of all this, the Bible speaks very prominently about this river of blessing. It uh, sees it as flowing uh, out of the sanctuary itself, that is, out of the temple mountain in Jerusalem. We'll see it flowing from Jerusalem down toward the Dead Sea and through the waters of the Dead Sea. And then out of the Dead Sea and into the Mediterranean Ocean or the Mediterranean Sea. Now, how this exactly is going to happen is very mysterious. You know or you should know that the Dead Sea is actually the lowest place on the planet. It is further below sea level than anywhere else on the planet. That's uh, the lowest spot. And uh, you also know about the nature of water. Uh, water goes in only one direction, downhill, downhill. Now, between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, there's a mountain range. Uh, so if somehow another God could make it to where that mountain range went away, if he could open up a path uh, through that water for the water to flow, uh, then what's going to happen just in a natural figurative kind of way? Well, the waters of the Mediterranean Sea, of course, would come crashing into the waters of the Dead Sea and, and fill up the whole Jordan River because the whole Jordan River Valley is, is under, below sea level. So it, it's a mysterious thing exactly how this is all going to happen. Uh, there are those who see this entire passage as figurative. I'm not one of those. Uh, I believe that our God's a God of miracles. Uh, 
I believe the God who made this thing is perfectly capable of making it do exactly what he tells it to do. And in fact, if he wants water to run uphill, he can make it run uphill. Amen. He made water. He can do whatever he wants to. Uh, so do I see this as a literal river? Oh, yes, I do. I sure do. But I also know that Jesus referred to this kind of river he did so in the Feast of Tabernacles, which uh, occurred and it's recorded for us in John chapter 7. And on the last day of the, uh, what was called the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said. As the Scripture hath said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, Jesus talked about that living water uh, on a couple of different occasions, and we know about that. But aside from that, there's not another passage that mentions the living water. When Jesus is quoting from the Scriptures, he's always talking about the Old Testament. There is no Old Testament passage that specifically references this living water. So when Jesus speaks of uh, out of a person's belly, out of their innermost being, will flow rivers of living water, then uh, we don't know exactly what Scripture he was talking about. Now John quickly moves on to tell us that Jesus makes a spiritual application. So while he thinks about that river of living water, John tells us quickly now what Jesus was talking about was the ministry of the Spirit of God. When you're saved, you see, those that afterward believed on him were going to receive that mighty presence of the Spirit of God. He would indwell of all of them exactly as Jesus said. He had promised that in John chapter 14. Uh, when he said, the comforter will come, if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if, the, if I go away, the comforter will come. He will abide with you forever. You know him, he said, because he is with you now, but he will be in you. You see, Jesus, as long as he was here, filled that role as a comforter. The Spirit of God did not uh, come to him by measure. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily. But... He promised that this comforter that they knew, that presence of Jesus Christ, would be continued by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He was talking about that then in John chapter 7. So while there was a literal river of living water that Jesus had on his mind, and what a great time to bring that up. I mean, the priest would go down to, on that last day of the feast and go down to the pool of Siloam and, and dip up that container of water. They'd bring it out and pour it out on the altar. All those great, magnificent, uh, significant things about uh, that water that was being poured out and all the, the ways that that was significant to them. Certainly, uh, there was something... So Jesus made that connection. As the scripture has said, then there'll be a river of living water. Now, in addition to our text in Ezekiel chapter 47, there's several other passages. Psalm 46 and 4, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. There is a river. 
Uh, every time I, I read that, Brother Bill, I want to sing an old gospel song. In my younger days, I would, but I'm not going to even try it tonight. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Joel, chapter 3, and verse 18, It shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Siddim. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 8. It shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea, and in summer and winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and that day there shall be one the Lord, and his name one. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Remon south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's wine presses, a river, a river, Zechariah says, of life-giving water. As the scripture has said, so certainly, Ezekiel 47 would qualify as one of those passages and one of many that would refer to this river of water, this life-giving flow that's going to flow out of the sanctuary of God. Now tonight, we're going to talk for just a few minutes about that river and what it's going to do in the millennial kingdom. But since Jesus brought it up in John chapter 7, and at least a part of the fulfillment, a part of what that represented, though I believe it's going to be an actual, literal river of water flowing. And it's actually, according to Zechariah's message, not only going to go toward the Mediterranean River, but part of it, or the Mediterranean Sea, but part of it's going to go the other way. How God's going to do all that, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we've got a lot to look forward to when it comes to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And seeing how all God's going to do all these things he told us he's going to do. But uh, how it's all going to play out, I'm not sure. But I do know tonight the Bible tells us a lot about what's going to happen when it does. So he draws particular attention, first of all, to the place where uh, this water comes from. He brings me, uh, Ezekiel 47 and 1, he brought me again into the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. <clears throat> I remember that Ezekiel before he was carried off to be a captive in Babylon, was a priest. And so he knew this place very, very well. He had served there very faithfully and very well, no doubt, before God put him into the prophetic ministry. And so he's identifying. He sees this in a vision. And he identifies for us very, very carefully where it was happening. It was happening in the temple, in the sanctuary. And there between the door and the altar... Out comes this flowing, gushing river. And when it's possible, you know, for, for people to need water and really not know that they need it, uh, to be empty, but really not know that how empty they are. Uh, I heard a story about a little girl one time who kept crying out for her mom to bring her a drink. She was kind of playing that game that children's play. It was nighttime, time to go to bed. 
Oh, I want a drink of water. Oh, I drink of water. I need, I... Finally, the exasperated mom says, it's bedtime and you're not getting up. And if you ask me for a drink of water one more time, I'm going to come in there and spank you. There was silence. Finally, she hears that little whimpering voice. Mama, when you come in here to spank me, will you bring me a drink of water? <laughs> uh, we might not know sometimes how thirsty you are, but I tell you, when you're thirsty, you're thirsty. And, and uh, it's good to see that water. Uh, we live in a world tonight that is thirsty. It's dry. I'm telling you, the world is dry in desperate need of water, but it really doesn't know how desperately it needs it. I read, and, and sometimes, and I've had medical professions tell me, I can't give you an absolute chapter and verse on this tonight, but I've been told that by the time that you begin to feel thirsty, you're already somewhat dehydrated. That your mind is already being affected by the absence of water. By the time you feel thirsty, you're thirsty. You need water more than you know. So it's always good just to stay hydrated. That's a good word for July in Arkansas, I tell you. Don't, don't forget to stay hydrated. Dehydration is not a good thing, but I'll tell you what. When it comes down to spiritual dehydration, it's possible to be like a gas tank. You know, a gas tank can run on empty, but it don't know it's empty. And God's people, you and I, we can be running on empty spiritually and not know it. Jesus has promised us a river of living water. That's what's available to us. We'll talk more about that tonight. Notice that the source of this water in Ezekiel's vision was the sanctuary. The sanctuary. It came from the very threshold of the door. Uh, many, many writers have pointed out over the years that this uh, river has a very lowly source. It came out of the threshold of the door, the sanctuary. Yeah, you had to get down low, you see, for that source to be seen. And not only does it have a lowly source, but it also has a holy source because it's in the sanctuary. It's not just any house. It is God's house, and it's not insignificant that the river flows out of the altar. You see, when we humble ourselves and pray, great things can happen. And when we're running on empty, that's the first thing we need to check. You know, have we been in the sanctuary? Have we humbled ourselves? Have we been seeking after God? And if not, we might need to get down on our knees before him and spend some time with him. You say, well, preacher, I can't get on my knees anymore. I understand that now. I didn't used to, but I understand it better now. Getting on your knees is not so much a matter of posture. It's a matter of our hearts. As we humble ourselves before God and seek his face. Where we admit how much that we need him. When we turn from our wicked ways if they've been plaguing us and seek him. And that's where that river then can begin to flow in us. We see also the course in of the river, the way that it went. He brought me out of the way of the gate, verse 2, northward, and led me about the way without into the outer gate by the way that looks eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits. 
and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. He measured another thousand, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. He measured another thousand, and he brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand. It was a river that could, I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. Uh, too wide, too deep, going too fast. You couldn't swim it. Now, once again, we see the rather unusual nature of this river. Obviously, with only one spring, you know what happens. The farther you get from the source, uh, the water flow slows down. Unless you have more water going into it, it's just a natural kind of thing. Uh, I, I've been to the Roaring River State Park in Missouri. If you've never been there, you ought to go. It's something to see, especially when the water's really gushing out. Uh, I visited the headwaters of the Jordan River. If you've never been there, it's something to see. It's a place where the water just comes gushing out, uh, and, and it's bubbling up literally everywhere, springs by the thousands. Everywhere you look, and that water, cold, crystal clear water, come gushing out there at the headwater source of the Jordan River. Um, but this water is not declining as it gets further and further from the spring. Uh, it just keeps growing. God is at work. They go down to the desert. They go down to the Dead Sea. Only it's not going to be the Dead Sea anymore. It will bring life and healing. This is another thing that one of the folks like to, that folks like to bring up that think this is all just a spiritual metaphor because they say, you know, God still mentions En Gedi, and En Gedi is a spring uh, by the Dead Sea. And if that water is healed and, and if that water is filled up, then there wouldn't be an En Gedi anymore, they say. But I, again, I don't know how to work all that out. I just say that God is, is going to do this because he said that he's going to do it. And in the place maybe where En Gedi went, was at one time, people will be spreading out nets and fishing. And I hope I get to do that during the millennial reign, at least once or twice. Uh, maybe not with the net. I'd, I'd rather chunk a line myself. I, uh, that's irrelevant. I'm sorry. Uh, back on track, Richard, okay? I, I don't think God would paint us, though, a more beautiful picture of this spiritually dead world than the Dead Sea. Its waters are poisonous. It's 25% more salty than ocean water. Nothing lives in it. So many intriguing things about the waters of the Dead Sea. Uh, I remember when we visited there many years ago, there were Palestinian people who were swimming in the Dead Sea. Now, swimming is an interesting word uh, because you don't really swim in it. You just float in it. You say, well, I can't swim. You could swim there. Just be still and lay out. It'll bob you like a cork. The water is so dense uh, that you really can't go down in it. Uh, but they, won't, they used to let you dip your uh, uh, finger in it and, and touch it to your tongue. But they say the waters are so poisonous, so dangerous now, they won't even let you do that anymore. I don't know why those people were swimming in it. Just being an old country boy, I thought, well, you know, if they could swim in it, I probably could dip a, and, and touch my tongue and be all right. Uh, but I didn't do it. Uh, here's a water, an, an ocean, a sea that has no outlet, that takes in but never gives. This world, you see, desperately needs the healing that comes only from God and through his people. It's delightful to think of the healing that is in this water and in the trees that are alongside of it. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But when Jesus brought this up, and when he was thinking about this river, referenced in many passages in the Old Testament, uh, 
And he uses it then as an example of what the Spirit of God is doing in us. When I think about all of the healing of that land and all of the healing of that water and all the, the trees and everything else, Jesus would use that as a description of the healing that he was going to bring through the, to the world through his people. He that believeth on me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living waters. There's no greater life than spiritual life. No greater healing than spiritual healing. But it is important for us to look at what this was going to do. Ezekiel 47 and 7. When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. It goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river goes will live. There'll be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they'll be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi to En And they will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They'll be given over salt. We call that brackish. Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They'll bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. The incredible force of this water is it's growing, becoming over a mile wide, so deep, so fast. But the amazing thing about this water is it's not destructive, it's constructive. I'll never forget the images uh, uh, of those houses uh, being swept uh, under the, the bridge over here in White River back in, I believe it was that 2009, I believe it was, when it flooded and, and those houses are being swept away and, and boats being just destroyed as they went under. The, it's a horrible thing as, as that water increases and grows and grows and grows and it spreads out wider and wider. They think, oh, this is going to cause destruction, not this river. This river is constructive and it brings healing. It will heal the waters of the Dead Sea so that they'll be teeming with life. This river will cause everything that lives alongside of it to flourish. Animal life, plant life, marine life, human life, freshwater fishery, saltwater fishery. It will all be flourishing as a result of this incredible time. This river will produce some amazing trees. They're fruit trees. But they're fruit trees like none we've seen ever, ever, ever before. They'll bloom year-round and bear fruit year-round. They'll bear different kinds of fruit. They don't produce fruit once a year, but all every month of the year, all the time. Always in bloom. Always producing a crop. Who's going to uh, tend the orchard? You know, orchard trees uh, require a lot of tending. Who's going to tend this one? As far as I can tell, God will. God will. God will make them grow. And God will make them yield their fruit. They'll be fruitful, incredibly fruitful. This river then will also produce these trees that not only give this incredible fruit, but also incredible medicine. 
Name off your top killer diseases in the world tonight. The leaves of these trees will heal them all. The number one is heart disease. No more stents. No more open heart surgery. No more pacemakers. The medicine from these trees will prevent that. Cancer. No more surgery, no more chemo, no more radiation. The medicine from these trees will cure them all. Stroke. No more worries there. Respiratory disease, viral, bacterial, doesn't matter. This one will cure them all. Diabetes, that's number five. Wouldn't it be great to take care of all of the diabetes in the world? By the leaves of this one tree. We could go on. Birth defects. Mental illnesses of all kinds. Cystic fibrosis. AIDS. Malaria. Tuberculosis. Intestinal diseases. Parasites. <laughs> These trees will heal them all. Now I want you to think with me for a moment about this. Because you see this comes on the heels of the great tribulation of God. Seven years of great tribulation. And when you read the story of that tribulation, the story is not told in the numbers of people who died. Not by thousands, not by ten thousands, but by percentages. A fourth of the world's population would die. You think about it. But after seven years of tribulation, then comes this thousand years of millennial reign with all of this healing going on. And for all those lives that God is going to take during the tribulation, God is going to save many, many more during the millennial reign. Think about it. What an incredible, incredible time this time of healing will be. You know, that God, yes, has brought judgment, but God will move in great blessing. So that those seven years of awful judgment will be followed by a thousand years of blessing. By the time those seven years of tribulation are over, there'll be absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind that the world has experienced the judgment of Almighty God. Nobody will even think to blame it on climate change. It's not going to happen. The world will have experienced the judgment of God and it'll know it. And through the healing that flows from God's throne for this unprecedented time of blessing, there will be no doubt as to where the blessings are coming from. They're coming from the throne of Almighty God. Out of the throne flows this river of blessing. Now I've tried in a very simple way tonight to present these truths to you. A truth not just confined to Ezekiel 47. We see other prophets, Joel and Zechariah, who speak of this river as well. The psalmist talk about there is a river that will make glad the people of our God. Yeah, there's, there is indeed a river that flows from God above. Yes, there is. But I connected it to John chapter 7 tonight for, because Jesus did. As the scriptures have spoken, he stood there in that very place in the temple of God in Jerusalem, on the temple mount, the very place. It would not surprise me a bit because, you know, geography changed. They'd gone through a big building project. Herod had done all of this. And, and now, you know, you go over there today and now the tone, dome of the rock is all there and all that, you know. 
But Ezekiel identified a specific place. It's between the door, there by the altar. And out of that place, there's going to flow a river. And it wouldn't surprise me a bit if Jesus wasn't standing there in John chapter 7 on that very spot where the river was one day going to open up and start flowing. Hey, everybody, he hollered, ho, (laughs) hey, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Out of he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Yeah. And so Jesus took all of that and he put it to himself and he brings it to us. Brother Rich, do you believe? I will say it again very clearly as we wrap up tonight. Do you believe this river is really going to flow during the millennial rain and God is going to do with it what he said? I absolutely do. And I also believe that Jesus applied that to the work of the Spirit of God in you and in me. So that that river that goes and flows from the sanctuary of God and brings life to the desert, barren places, Jesus used that as a picture of what the Spirit of God is doing right now in you and in me. So that he brings that life-giving flow out of the sanctuary, out of his churches, and waters this dry and barren land. Oh, how the United States of America needs that river of living water tonight. Oh, how Cabot, Arkansas needs it. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Isn't it amazing that our God is so great and God is so wonderful that he can take somebody like me and somebody like you and use us to be a river of living water that will bring healing, spiritual healing, eternal healing to the lives of those around us. Oh, yes, God. Let it be. Let's stand together, please.